0: Hello, new and loyal listeners. This is your loathsome host, Bree. We're about to get into our episode with the very talented, funny, and kind Steve Sadak from We Hate Movies in just a moment. But while I have you, I wanted to draw attention to a cause I think we should all be supporting right now, and that is the Centertown Worker Relief Fund for the workers of downtown Ottawa. As many of you, even stateside, probably know, our country's capital has been uh, essentially under siege for the last several weeks by a rather unpleasant occupation, which uh, forced many businesses, particularly in the Center town neighborhood, to close, uh, some for days and even weeks at a time. and. Many workers uh, were forced to quit or take time away because they felt extremely unsafe. So there is now a grassroots effort to help those workers replenish the wages that they lost um, with a goal of $15,000. As of today, Monday, February 14th, it is just over $4,000. So they have a long way to go. You can support that at gofundme.com slash centretown-relief.fund. And remember, center is spelled the Canadian way with an R-E. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode.
1: You know, I knew someone whose name was Nancy Ann and her last name was Cianci. Nancy Ann Cianci. Hands of God. <laughs> what parents do to children, we're all victims of victims. It's a shanda Naha Pfei Poo Poo for the toddlers of the teens. Nishka feilik mit a lebe dik schmutzi dik grabber yink. Oye weiss mir, don't
0: knine horrek for bis a I'm not finished. Contractor, or no, we will not bow to any sponsor. I'm your host, Pralines and Dick Flavored Brie rodi and who is with me here today?
1: Look at the size of that heed. It's uh, Steven Sadak.
0: Hello, Steve. Welcome to Peak Show. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this.
0: Yeah, we're really excited uh, uh, today. You are joining me uh, to discuss the career of an actor, something we've never done here before in in peak show. Um, I said in my episode hints that we're discussing someone who has something in common with my dearest rat son, Michael Bunting. (laughs) And that is, of course, uh, Scarborough's own Mike Myers. So the reason I'm having Steve Sadak on is because uh, his podcast, We Hate Movies, has rightfully covered a little bit of Myers' work. So Steve, can you tell me a bit about you and We Hate Movies and what you guys do over there?
1: Yeah, we are a what is commonly referred to as a bad movie podcast. We hope we're more than that. Uh we do just Cover uh, movies that from like uh, roughly ten years ago on a weekly basis, and you know e- e- we offer fun analysis and very silly jokes, and we get very gross very often uh because that's what we do. We're four—we're just four people from New York having a lot of fun, and we have crossed over with Mike Myers a few times. Even though it was kind of funny when you asked me to do this, uh you gave me two choices: like, hey, you could do this guy or you could do Mike Myers, and I was like, oh, you know, Mike Myers is more in my wheelhouse. And I was like, yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll be able to talk about Mike Myers. And then I thought about it. And I'm like, oh, I have quite a bit to say about Mike Myers. So I'm, I'm actually kind of uh, <laughs> as I was kind of gathering my thoughts today, I was like, oh, no, I've got stuff to say. So ideally, this will be a listenable podcast.
0: Well, this is I mean, it's always going to be a listenable podcast for someone. Uh, there's a market <laughs> for everything. It's true. Um, it's very, very true. Yeah. Um, and I know you guys have obviously done the most infamous uh, Love Guru, which I have a lot of feelings about. And I try to um, I try to not have too many episodes in which I descend into hockey madness, so I'm going to try to keep that to like a minimum here. Um, but uh, you've also done the Very Wretched Cat in the Hat adaptation. Um, and then you did one a couple years ago that is potentially upsetting to a lot of millennials. You did Shrek. Uh, I'll admit when I saw that you guys did Shrek, I did a little, oh. Um, <laughs> can you tell me why you guys chose to do that particular nostalgia buster?
1: I think we did it because we were, I mean, we're a little older, we're older millennials, we're definitely millennials, but we're definitely on the older end of millennial, for one, so I think we're a little older when that movie came out, you know, we're in our late teens as opposed to early teens, and that's, I think, a huge gulf for an animated movie like that, and two, I think it does speak a lot to what has happened to animated movies kind of since, I mean, like, like it or love it. Like it or dislike it. Um, I think that the animation, the actual animation style, I didn't really care for, et cetera, et cetera. I mm-hmm. see a very long episode on it. But I mean, I do think that like that sort of crassness and uh, celebrity infection happens at that point, And after that point, it's sort of, it, it you know, pale limitations of something that, are, that I don't even like to begin with kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, the. I'll never forget the kind of line you used about, um, I think it was Fiona, which was, she looks like a Sim. Um, <laughs> the animation, if you look back, is not good. It's yeah. it's not. Um, I, I have a lot of feelings that I'm going to try to save for later. Uh, I am, I think, at a mid-millennial. Like, I was born in 89, so mm. I was the target audience for Shrek. Um, and uh, I'll say your podcast probably made me see things a little differently, but we'll get into that. Um, before we dive into um, too much Mike Myers discourse, we have a peak show tradition where we talk about, you know, moments in your life that were kind of peak Steve. So can you tell us about a moment that was peak Steven Sadek? Uh,
1: yeah, I was thinking about this and uh, my wife's not going to listen to this. So it's not my wedding. Fuck that. Um, no, no, <laughs> no, um, no, uh, I uh, there was the summer of 1995 when I, My One of my best friends got a basketball hoop, and I would go over his house with my brother and my sister and stuff, and we'd all go, and we played basketball. We played basketball all summer to the point where I thought I was good enough to try out for the basketball team, and uh, it was like me, and there was this really tall kid that would come around, and because I was really short, they would pair us together to kind of keep even things out, and i was really good on his team i was like really like i was getting steals you know what i mean like i was wide open because everyone was double teaming him every single time but i i didn't realize those mechanics i was like i'm pretty good at basketball even though i'm like really really small uh so i did i did the, that's the peak moment and then it it's a it's a precipitous drop the next day i tried out for the uh basketball team and was promptly cut in the first round like hugely cut like I didn't know what they were doing I'm like no no this is isn't basketball really slow and it's only half court and you just kind of sit around and throw uh, you, you make one out of every four and you feel like a, a a huge celebrity kind of a thing isn't that basketball
0: that is the cutest fucking thing I've ever heard um, <laughs> uh you know spiritually I actually identify with this because um I went to a very small elementary school uh sixth grade uh, I was, um, there were 12 girls in my sixth grade class, 12 of them tried out for the basketball team, 11 made it, <laughs> and um, oh, no. that. that... <laughs> I have made approximately one athletic team in my life, and mm-hmm. it was cheerleading, and it was because another girl twisted her ankle at the audition, so. Um, That's exciting.
1: I, um... That's success, though. <laughs> success is success.
0: I swear to God, I didn't do it. Uh, No, the (laughs) peak of that, uh, of not making the basketball team, though, was being told by the teacher who coached it. She, like, come on, I need to make you the water girl. I need to make you, like, the team (laughs) assistant. Mm. Because um, they had a tournament uh, off-site. And if I stayed behind, they had to get a substitute for the class. And they didn't want to have to do that. So they... (laughs) (laughs) Pulled me to this fucking basketball tournament. I was I was stupid, but I was smart enough to know I was a huge loser. So <laughs> that that
1: works. Yeah, it's important to get yeah. that out of the way and figure that out immediately.
0: Yeah, I think that was the year Shrek came out as well. So uh, there you so go. So now before um, we dive into kind of the history of Mike Myers, the man, I uh, want to get a little bit into your history with Mike Myers um, and his work. Um, you know, when did you first become aware of him as an actor, performer? How closely did you follow his uh, his work, and when did you kind of fall off fandom wise?
1: Yeah, I think um, it was it's a pretty direct through line. I was a big Saturday Night Live kid. Um, I'm a little old. I was born in '83, so basically, I was very aware of like the early '90s SNL, like even and even late '80s at that point. And then obviously later on, like watching reruns and stuff. And I think Mike Myers. Was kind of this like, it, it, I have a lot of. He's kind of this like utility player for a little while. Like it wasn't necessarily his show really. You know, it was always the, it was either Dana Carvey's show or uh it turned into the sort of the bad boys of SNL like, <laughs> Farley, Sandler, those guys. And he had this sketch. I mean, he had a ton of sketches. I loved, I loved Sprockets. I loved Wayne's World. But for whatever reason. I remember uh very clearly th- uh, attaching to Linda Richmond uh of Coffee <laughs> Coffee Talk because she reminded me of my mom like she was my mom is you know uh is half Jewish and you know from New York and not not as aggressively talked like that but really did talk you know similarly enough with the accent but also like just very specifically like my mom In the 90s, you put my mother in a room with a cup of coffee and another older woman, preferably divorced. And we are that's three (laughs) hours without any without any uh, without any breaks. So that's I really connected with that sketch. And then obviously, like Wayne's World was huge uh, and I love that movie and all that stuff and kind of. I, and I remember even following him, I am, I feel am one of the few people, uh, at least at the time, that saw Austin Powers in theaters, the first one, because I was such like, oh, Mike Myers is a new movie, and like, you know, I want to go see this movie, and no one else I, I knew did, and then it, the ending was sort of, I, I wasn't huge into Shrek, but I didn't like, you know, I wasn't, I knew it wasn't for me, so I just, it kind of went into a different box kind of a thing, Um Austin Powers shoes good, etc. And then like Austin Gold member, where I was like, I think I'm good on this. You know what I mean? I was like, you know <laughs> what? I think I've it's seen this out. movie. Before. Yeah, I, I think I've seen this movie before. I'm I'm not pot committed on this gentleman. Like it's cool. I, I'll wait for a new character. And sadly, that kind of didn't happen. Aside from yeah. some misfires.
0: Yeah. Um, now, before I get into my history, I want to confirm something. Uh, you, you know, we're we're a little further apart in age, but you, like me, are the youngest in your family, correct?
1: Yes, I am uh, okay. the the youngest of four. Uh, and my oldest, and that's kind of. I think that that sort of speaks to why you probably. Uh, I, I have the same thing with like I can. My my eldest sister is born in seventy seven, so I have this sort of. I think that gives you more as the youngest some sort of more purchase on older generations because you're always sort yes. of looking up to these these people and whatever tv is on in your house is kind of reflecting their generation not necessarily yours so i kind of yes. in that in that same way i think that that's instructive
0: it's twofold because you are exposed to like your older siblings taste um, mm. and that kind of older generational stuff. Um, but then also you're if if you're, you know, three kids or more frankly, your parents are too exhausted to parent you and monitor what you watch, which is how I ended up raised by The Simpsons and uh, King of the Hill and shit. So, um, yeah, for me, um, I did miss the bulk of the SNL stuff because like my oldest sister's your age. So mm. like even, you know, early 90s, she wasn't necessarily watching SNL. Um, I did finally remember what my first memory of Wayne's World was, which was that it was one of the big posters in our local video, video rental store Mm. for the longest time. And it just always stuck out to me, like as a little kid, like kindergarten, just like looking at this, like, this looks cool. Yes. We had the second, not the first on VHS. (laughs) And so I saw the second first. I was like, this is okay. (laughs) And then, um, someone, probably my dad had the good sense to tell me, you know, that guy's Canadian, right? (laughs) And um <laughs> I uh I was I was really into anything as long as it was Canadian and like, you know, that's why I was a five-year-old who liked Rush. Mm-hmm. Um and so um I I did watch the first one. I think I was too young to really appreciate it because I might have been in like grade one or something. Um mm-hmm. but like a lot of little kids born when I was born, my real introduction to him was through Austin Powers, which of course I adored because like I was, you know, what you call the Jim Carrey rubber face kid. I loved, like, big bits and, you know, like, big character stuff and broad stuff. Um, Also, it was a great way to build my portfolio of dick jokes at a young age. Um, (laughs) I loved the sequel. Um, You know, I was becoming this little fledgling comedy nerd. I was, like, in the eighth grade when the third one came out, and even I knew I did not like that. (laughs) Um, I think I was the only tween in my town who didn't much care for Shrek, um, it was a very like hyperactive movie, and I I felt very condescended to as a young viewer. Like it was very like elbowy and chewing the scenery. So I started to think, oh, maybe Mike Myers actually isn't that funny. Maybe it was just, you know, these couple characters I liked. It was in high school that I got into the older SNL stuff. My friend Kyla was a huge SNL fan, and she lent me the best of Mike Myers DVD. And Man, did I develop a better appreciation for his characters. Um, like you, I love Linda Richman. Um, I think everyone loves Dieter. I cannot stand Simon. It's, <laughs> it kind of makes my skin crawl.
1: <laughs> I have a theory on that. And I mean, I, I never liked... I think I liked him as a kid because I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. But as an adult I ch- okay. and a teen, I changed. And it happened... I was taking an improv class and this uh this teacher was uh or it was actually in a workshop and the teacher was Anthony Atamanik, who is this guy he did he does the the, the what do you call it there the the Trump show he had the mm-hmm. Trump show for a little while and he has a lot of other he's a really really talented funny guy but he said something that burned into my brain cuz this this one performer in the class two scenes in a row initiated as a small child and he stopped the scene and he's like no one wants to see an adult act like a child. It's fucking creepy. And I'm like, you know what, dude, you put the nail on the head. And I think that that he has, I think Simon is that like, it's, it's cute, but it's also like, I don't know, dude, you're a grown man and you're in the bath and it's like, it's, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) I
0: I don't know what I'm supposed to be laughing at other than how weird it is. And so it's like, I only need one of this. I I can just (laughs) do one sketch and I'm good, man. Um, So, yeah, like, I've asked myself a lot, um, like, which is also why I wanted to do Mike Myers as an episode. Like, what is his, you know, legacy? Um, And I don't think he's necessarily going to go down as one of the greatest comedic actors of our generation, which is kind of crazy because his highs are so high. Um, But he swung so hard into the bad stuff. And, like, when I look at, like, the small parts he's done in Inglorious Bastards and Bohemian Rhapsody, I often think, like, he could have had a Jim Carrey eternal sunshine moment when he proved to everyone like, look, I'm a real actor. And he just chose not to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he tried with that studio 54 movie, which uh, it was, was not it. You know what I mean? Like it was like, Oh, I'm going to do this dramatic role and like uh, really throw myself into it. But but the movie wasn't terribly good and he wasn't very good in it. But I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. He never, but he never tried again. And I'm sure he would have had other options and like, he doesn't like to play for other people it seems i think he likes to be very in control of everything and it's my character my thing my everything and i think that kind of limits you as an actor because he's and i think he's a terrific performer you know what i mean but i think also he has this control issue can i ask you a question yes um is and as a canadian is like What is the the Canadian comedy Mount Rushmore if you were to create it?
0: Well, one thing that is, and I was thinking about this a lot because I was thinking about the Second City and there are Canadian actors who, it's not that you forget they're Canadian, but Mm -hmm. they they don't come back. They do. And um, so you have like your Jim Carrey and Mike Myers, but aside, and I don't count the fact that you know, Mike Myers, like me, is a Leafs fan or, you know, was named to the order of Canada. Like, he's not doing shit here. Yeah, he's not. Um, whereas Eugene Levy and Joe Flaherty, they are so distinctly Canadian. Uh, also, both the nicest men in the world. I sat next to I sat next to Eugene Levy a couple of years ago at the Canadian upfronts, which are just the bargain basement upfronts. Um, it's so bad. Um <laughs> And just, um, uh, I had met Eugene Levy very briefly when I was like fourteen or fifteen at a drama festival uh, improv. I would class. lose my shit,
1: I'm, FYI. I would lose my shit if I met Eugene Levy.
0: It was it was even funnier because I was um, it w- the class was being taught by Joe Flaherty, um, so I was already excited enough. Oh, wow. But then it was at the Second City, and Eugene Levy was just walking through the hallway, and Joe Flaherty waved him in and said, "Hey, come and say hi to these teenagers," and I. Yeah, I almost shit my pants. Um so those guys are so like in it and they give back to the Canadian comedy scene. Um it's really hard with Myers to see him not, you know, yeah. yes, we see him as Canadian. But um, but then again, like we're all we're all filled with such bitterness because you know America doesn't respect us or whatever, and like no, I, we don't. Great, you guys like Shit's Creek, uh, but <laughs> um, which it's not that great.
1: I've uh, never I've never tried it. It, I, it was one of those things where like the memes
0: too cutesy poo
1: outpaced my interest in it, and I was like, you know what, guys. This looks adorable, and it's not for me because I'm not into adorable comedy. You know,
0: I mean, I'd I'd highly recommend Kim's Convenience. It's okay. wholesome and low commitment. Um, another another actor I've met uh, through my previous life as an entertainment reporter was Paul Sun Young Lee from that show. There, mm-hmm. like again, these are all great people, and it's almost like you have to be like a humble little kind of loserish person <laughs> to be in the Canadian round, Mount Rushmore of comedy. Also, the other thing about Mike Myers is. He is not a very personal guy. He doesn't, he's famously been very private about his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with with Canada, we care that you're likable.
1: Yeah, I buy that. No, for sure. And I, 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 he's, he's always been very aggressively Canadian at the very least. I think like he's been upfront (laughs) about it. Like people like Dan Aykroyd or whatever, like are Canadian, but aren't, you know what I mean? Quite so. I don't know yeah. upfront about it. I guess maybe that's my very ignorant American opinion of it. But like, just that, I I I associate him more even than even Jim Carrey too. Like, aside from like some stand up bits about growing up in Canada, like he's not exactly uh, as. And I think it's one of the things I, I read about when I was doing some research was like he he uh, whenever he sees himself on screen, all he sees is ac- acne scars and a bad Canadian accent, which I think is kind of interesting, just because he's like. I think he probably wanted to get rid of that accent but that accent's always there and it's it's charming it's actually one of the more endearing parts of him you know
0: I had no idea that there was a Canadian accent or like I mean it, Ontario for for American listeners Ontario is very much the midwest of Canada mm-hmm. like I don't like when people compare Toronto to New York Toronto is the Chicago of Canada I <laughs> stand by that um and Ontario is the midwest and that we all have very specific regional accents And uh, we love hockey and, you know, it's frozen over half the year. Um, But uh, when I was watching some older stuff, I did find some really severe Canadian accent (laughs) in Mike Myers, which is very cute. So um, I'll say this is the most like boring, basic upbringing that I've ever researched for a performer. Um, He just sounded like he had an extremely normal life, which is probably good. A lot of, you know, actors and comedians have terrible lives growing up. Uh, Michael John Myers born in 1963 in Scarborough to, uh, British immigrant parents. Um, yeah, nothing unexpected here. He started acting in commercials as young as two, which is, uh, kind of adorable, and had his first speaking role in a TV series at age 16 on The Littlest Hobo
1: what is explain to me what the littlest hobo is is it about a, a no homeless child okay no, all right okay i don't know i don't know if that's like that's your superman over there i don't i don't know what you people do but uh <laughs> i don't know I don't, I don't know how you people operate you just you, you you have the littlest hobo on a stamp and you love him so much it just sounds like a tiny homeless child which is not fun for me as, as, as a as a viewer
0: i was a little house on the prairie kid so. uh, okay Yeah. Uh, No, his early career uh, was rooted in improv performance. He was accepted into Second City's touring company after high school, moved to the UK where he formed an improv improv troupe, the Comedy Store Players, returned to Toronto in 86 where he was part of the second city's main stage show before transferring to the second city Chicago and Steve I have a question for you because mm. um, I mean second city is kind of it in Canada I used to work around the corner from Second City it's always used as like a really dumb corporate venue now um, but is second city seen as a, as big a deal in the u.s uh, like on the same level as like UCB or groundlings? Because it's all we have in Canada, but I don't know if it's, like, the basement in the U.S.
1: I would say it's interesting to put – I would put UCB below Second City for sure. Um okay. Because uh, – at least in, in the U.S. Because I think that that is something – it's it's a very Chicago thing. And, like, obviously uh, New York had UCB. It was, like, UCB was sort of – you know, it came from Second City. It's all all that stuff. But – or specifically I.O. Chicago or whatever. But – all that is to say, like, it sort of it felt like an offshoot and they brought Chicago to New York and then they brought Chicago to L.A. And then they got closed down because of the pandemic and all sorts of other uh, bad labor practices, which uh, not paying anybody. But uh, long story short, I, I think that like Second City is known as and I think this is sort of what UCB was as well and groundlings they're like Saturday night live factories. You know what I mean? At least in New York, which is kind of unfortunate because, you know, I, I I loved improv. I love doing improv uh, and I loved it for its own sake, but also like when you're doing it, when you get into these pyramid schemes that are these theaters, it is like, give us $1,200 and we will put you on Saturday night live. And that doesn't happen very often, but Uh, And, like, just knowing friends of mine in Chicago, it seems as if it's at least now the less cool of those theaters to go to. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's funny because it is seen almost similarly in Canada, except that it's our only option. Um, Mm. And I know so many people, uh, including uh, my dear friend Kyla, who um, were, you know, kind of perpetual students of of the second city and, you know, yep. come back and take this course. Well, you graduate from that. Now come back and take this course. And some people would get jobs at the second city, but it was like 20 hours a week sitting at a desk getting paid minimum wage. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it's, uh, but it's it, our only option.
1: Yeah. It's all very, and I, I did, I did that exact same thing at UCB. I was there for years, just kind of, and I, I mean, I, I don't regret it necessarily. I do think it, you know, helped me do whatever the hell I'm doing now. But at the same time, like it is, it's a time commitment and so many people just did it to just know that they would make it big on S specifically SNL, which is always so odd to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think during Myers day, I want to say that maybe it was a bit uh, different, a bit more of a heyday for, Mm. uh, for second city in, uh, in Canada. So, um, Now, what a lot of people might not know, uh, including many Canadians, because I think we are now used to thinking of Wayne Campbell as an SNL creation. Um, Wayne Campbell, actually, um, he was an early character of Myers for a few years in the 80s. A prototype version of him appeared on City TV's overnight show City Limits. Um, And then... Wayne Campbell in earnest made his TV debut in uh, 1987 on CBC's "It's Only Rock and Roll." Do you know what the CBC is, Stephen?
1: Um, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: it's our national broadcaster. I actually, I sort of have a CBC tattoo. It's currently getting covered up by a horseshoe crab because uh, CBC kept publishing turfs. But, Got it. Um, okay, that's that's right. Yep, but it is our national broadcaster. Um, it's you know where The Littlest Hobo and Little House on the Prairie uh, premiered. So, um, is it I as found...
1: integral as the BBC, or is it le- more kind of an like something you can kind of take or leave?
0: Um, it is. Um, we think it's our BBC, but uh-huh. it's not seen as as culturally relevant. Uh, conservatives it. fucking hate it. Um, it's always a good start. Fu- and the far left fucking hates it so um you know it's uh i mean they they hosted a lot of things like that are really crucial to my childhood like hockey night in canada and the friendly mm-hmm. giants so like that there's love there but um yeah it's it wishes it were the bbc and this clip that i unearthed of mike myers from 19 uh 1987 doing wayne campbell just like Sitting on a picnic table, um, talking about air guitar and why don't we have air drums and, uh, you know, air basses and then air roadies, which made me very excited because that sounds like a sneaker I'd endorse. Um, (laughs) And it's the most like rough thing. I cannot believe it was on broadcast television. And he sounds so, I mean, Wayne Campbell has a Canadian accent, but it's mm-hmm. clearly, by the time it hit SNL, it's a very, like, developed, intentionally Canadian accent. This is the most fucking Canadian thing I've ever heard. Um, and then uh, Myers was cast on SNL in 1989. Uh, it was then that Wayne's World became an SNL sketch and included the character of Garth. Notably, the first episode of SNL with uh, Wayne's World was hosted by one of my heroes, Leslie Nielsen.
1: Oh, nice, I didn't know that yeah. that's cool I, I love yeah. Leslie it, it it must I mean, I think that that's sort of where a lot of his my and again, I'm going to psychoanalyze somebody I have no idea about uh, a lot of his kind of what do you call it their hangups are because I think that like garth that that that's a huge breakout sketch, a huge breakout movie, but Garth turns into the thing that people like a little bit more, right? You know what I mean? He's the funny one. he's the weird one. And like, what you're saying is like he, he had this character for years and I could totally see it. And like I'm this dumb rock and roll guy. And it's like, but no, we like the blonde weirdo next to you. And now mm. you become the straight man, which is sort of, it, it, I think that probably informed a little bit of why he is very difficult to work with, probably.
0: Well, I'm, I'm frankly surprised when I look back at why he and Dana Carvey never really continued to do things professionally together, because it didn't seem like there was any bad blood or even rumors of bad blood. But I don't know if they just decided they were done or what, because I think like, I would love to see these two guys in like a traditional buddy comedy or something like that. Like, they have good chemistry.
1: I ran into something, and some cursory stuff I was looking at today was um, Dana Carvey on the Howard Stern show basically accused um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Mike Myers of stealing Doctor Evil from him or the character yeah. thereof. Like basically, oh, I was doing this Lord impre- Michaels impression for years, and then all of a sudden this thing comes out. And apparently, they sort of buried the hatchet in these bad Uber Eats commercials, et cetera. Like that, they're probably okay now. But like oh, you for whatever reason, too, right? that was a very long kind of ish. Uh, I
0: I wasn't aware if you were getting the Uber Eats commercials. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, we oh we got them, and oh. all of those Uber Eats, even the Mark Hamill Patrick Stewart one makes me want to die. And it's just like, and again, these are people I love. I I, I will weep every when when all of these people die, I'll weep probably. But I am not into these Uber Eats commercials.
0: Oh, no, not at all. Um, we don't get Uber Eats in my area either. And so every time I see an ad, I'm just like, you're fucking wasting this on me, man. <laughs> um, the So um, the sketch was greenlit into a movie in 1991. It was only at the, se- at the time the second SNL sketch to ever be made into a movie, uh, Blues Brothers being the first. Hmm. The final domestic gross was $121.7 million domestic. I didn't get the uh, global, but... Um, And it had genuinely good reviews like I wasn't sure again because I was a little kid like is this one Mm -hmm. of those things that's been like, you know, more appreciated in history or millennials just love it because of the nostalgia like no people loved it like Siskel had it among his top 10 for the year Ebert gave it three stars out of four people loved this movie.
1: It's it, and it holds up too. It's a really, it really does, gen, genuinely funny movie. It doesn't have what a lot of the like you think about something like Tommy Boy, where the third act is kind of a mess, like because at a certain point in a lot of comedies, people have to stop being funny and then solve whatever problem we've invented for them to deal with, and that can get bo- boring or or uh lethargic, but. Wayne's World famously like they're making fun of the third act. You know what I mean? That they do the ending three different times. Like it just it keeps going. It's it's complete, It's inventive all the time.
0: There are parts of Wayne Wayne's World like I love when a movie or TV show, um, you know, recontextualizes a song or something for me. And like that's Dreamweaver for me. It, it will <laughs> never not be, uh, you know the the song from Wayne's World. Um, surprisingly didn't do that with Bohemian Rhapsody, but I think that's just because. It's been overused in pop culture. Yeah. Um, so Wayne's World two. Um, I would have thought I would have truly expected box office boon, ratings bomb. Um, yeah. opposite actually. Uh, critics generally liked it, and it had seventy two million worldwide. That fucking sucks. <laughs>
1: <Like>. <laughs> it's a huge drop. I mean, I think it's hard to do, which is why those Austin Powers movies are kind of amazing in that way it's really hard i think to do a comedy sequel you know what i mean and like actually succeed in doing that and i think that wayne's world kind of does that also you ditch penelope spheris who i think probably had a lot to to do with why wayne's world was as successful as it was and she wound up hating mike myers afterwards (laughs) by the way
0: yeah um and in in fairness it did open against two absolutely chilling films it opened against schindler's list and mrs doubtfire so um (laughs)
1: Yeah, I guess this is Doubtfire must have, must have eaten Wayne. well. Yeah, cuz if you're if it's like not everyone's going to see Schindler's List. Let's let's let's, let's just let's, let's put it out there. Not everyone's going to You were making
0: mood. out during Wayne's World too?
1: <laughs> yes, I think I, oh, but so you're like, "All right, what are we going to watch? Ooh, that Robin Williams as a grandmother movie is that's going to sting a bit."
0: Which I think like many people and uh you'll uh, allow me to be like a dumbass fucking fangirl for a second. Like many people, your Mrs. Doubtfire episode was, I think, the first one I listened to from you guys, and that, like, I was fucking hooked. Um, it was also around the same time you guys did The Butterfly Effect, which is my favorite <laughs> bad movie in the goddamn world. So
1: it's it's that movie is a perfect diamond of a bad movie. It's like the, exactly <laughs> what I love. Uh, I don't know if you you're now. I'm gonna go off on a huge tangent, but like, there's this weird thing. Uh, Chuck Klosterman, uh, he's got some quote. On Twitter now, because he's got some book about the 90s where he's positing that the 90s was the last true decade. Because if you take any movie from the, the last 20 years, they all look alike. And I say total bullshit because the yeah. early aughts have a real feel to them. The mid aughts have a real, you know what I mean? Like these are kinds of, like and that movie is a perfect example. Like it's not something. You wouldn't if you told me that the Butterfly Effect was made yesterday. Like you're lying to me. Like look at oh, this yeah. music. Look at the way these people are dressed. It's the as...
0: montages, the like heavy-handed desaturation. Like and yes. and I will say that you know in all my asking, why didn't Mike Myers try to you know do an I'm a serious I'm a serious actor movie? Like that is a perfect example of what happens when it doesn't work out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Now of course uh, between Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2, I'm skipping over 1993's So I Married an Axe Murderer, uh, the first film in which Mike Myers plays more than one character, um, and the debut of his beloved Scottish accent. Um, I love this bit of trivia, which is that Chevy Chase, Martin Short, and Albert Brooks were considered for the role for the lead, but did not like the character. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like all Mike My- all Mike Myers' characters, every single one of them, is professionally annoying. So <laughs>
1: That's the one he's the most, you know, the most likable, the most, like, for lack of a better word, fuckable. Like, you know what I mean? He's got, like, you can imagine him having a girlfriend in that movie and then actually getting married because he's, like, you know, regular looking. He's not, like, making himself look more like a goblin. You know what I mean? Like, he's got the floppy hair in the 90s kind of a thing. actually
0: because i mean it was a very middling movie in terms of its reception mm-hmm. it was described as a mediocre movie with a good one trapped inside it does kind of make me wish again like you said if mike myers had done more of other people's characters cuz he's not a character in that mm-hmm. movie he's just a guy um and he's not chewing scenery he's not terrible i'm not per- i'm not going to reinvent this as an amazing movie but uh
1: yeah I I I I I'll I'll, I love that movie. I'm I'm full on I for whatever reason I, I was the the right age for it. I, I saw that in theaters as well. Uh spoiler alert uh, my parents were divorced. And I saw a lot of movies with my dad. Uh so there so there's that. I I but I, I really I, that was one of those things where I'm like, "Ooh, Mike Myers is really coming into his own even as like a tiny tiny kid like not understanding what that means, but I was like, "Oh wow, it's a, it's the Mike Myers movie because again, I think he would probably as much as you loved Wayne's World, it must have chuffed him to be like, and it's the Carvey show yet again. It's like, well, now what if I'm three characters or whatever, or, you know, multiple characters kind of a thing.
0: You know, for me and my age. And by the way, I watched a lot of movies as a kid, too. But in the town where I grew up, we had one theater with one screen and it got everything a month late. <laughs> so and the, we had like two things open opening weekend. That was Star Wars Episode One and Titanic. That was it. Um. <laughs> Like, stuff would already be out on VHS by the time we saw it, but, like, for me, that was Jim Carrey, and the first time I saw The Truman Show, which is still a huge favorite of mine, but it was, you know, I grew up with Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber, and Liar Liar, and it was the first time seeing him not being Jim Carrey. Um, And, you know, Mike Myers is still, like, He's obviously very much Mike Myers, and so I married an axe murderer. But it's like, oh, okay, he can do something different. Um, so I totally get that. Um, yeah,
1: I think you're right, though. Like, he never did that other – he never did it again. I mean, because it didn't do terribly well either. But, I mean, he never did the, like, I'm a dad, and uh-oh, wacky shit's happening to me. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, or I'm I'm in love with this woman at work, and wacky shit is happening to me. It's just always, yeah. like – this character that is carved out of God knows what, like from marble, like this, such a specific reference to something else to something else. That's his his bread and butter kind of a thing.
0: And I mean, I would say that maybe it's that he's not conventionally attractive enough. And I say yeah. that as a certified six, but <laughs> I mean we tried to do that with Ben Stiller and like yeah. somehow we made Ben Stiller into a romantic comedy lead. So, um, okay. so Don't flaunt he your sixth
1: left... status at me, all right? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, the threes in the room need <laughs> to know where they are.
0: Well, I'm, I am five foot six, so that's like kind of where I stand. <laughs> but um, so uh, Mike Myers left the cast of SNL in 1995 and shortly thereafter, he created the character of Austin Powers and the fictional band Ming-T. That was actually what he created it for first. Um, and I love this because he cited his British father for the inspiration of the character and his love of all things British in 60s, including the original Casino Royale era Bond, um, which became the basis for the movie Austin Powers. Um, I remember being very young and watching Mike Myers on a talk show. It might have even been the fucking Rosie O'Donnell show because my mom watched that one every day. (laughs) Um, And he was talking about how he lost his father in the early 90s. And he was he like wanted to pay tribute to his father, um, which is like the only personal thing he's ever really said about himself. And I remember him sharing this one thing about his dad, which is because both his parents are British um, and his mother was in the RAF. So he has a lot in common with my husband, who is also an immigrant from the UK. And my husband's um, mother's family was an RAF family. And um, and he said, oh, yeah, um, my dad had a lot of British sensibilities. And in Britain, it's considered really bad etiquette to ask someone what they do for a living. It's like as personal as asking someone like, how much money do you have? Hmm. And I turned to my husband recently. I'm like, is that true? Cause that sounds like bullshit. And my husband confirmed that actually, yes, it is very it's it's not that people will be offended, but he's like, no, it's the American obses- obsession with work as your identity. Like no one no one asks that to English people. So
1: that that's um, so bizarre because was I was cute. like, How the hell do I what am I gonna talk to you about? I mean, as <laughs> an American as an American person, I'm like, what what are you gonna what, what 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 commonality will we have aside from me asking you what you do and then judging you for it?
0: exactly um, so yeah like I, I do think that's very sweet um, I would say um, if you're going to say you it, you know were inspired by your late father to create this very ridiculous character with you know hilariously bad British teeth um, thank <laughs> goodness he's not around to see it <laughs> oh, God rest his soul and I think that's um,
1: sort of Michael, Mike Myers leaning in again to like again he's not the bad, worst looking man in the world but like what is so funny about that movie is how hideous he makes himself oh,
0: yeah. and
1: using that as like sort of a a cheeky sex like that, that's what i mean like austin Power, I, i've re-watched austin powers pretty recently and it really holds up you know what i mean it's not just this like 90s oddity fun mm-hmm. thing it is this movie where there's a lot going on uh and it, 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 again it's not the smartest movie in the world but again like the fact that you're playing on sixties attractiveness versus what we consider attractive in the nineties, you know, all all those attitudes changing and all these very big, big characters. It's a, it's an impressive comedy. I think still to, to this day,
0: it is, it is very impressive. Um, I have tried to, um, go back in time and figure out what kind of like my bisexual closet keys were. (laughs) And one of those is Elizabeth Hurley in that movie. Um, my God. Um, I mean, X-Files, obviously, and one of your guys' episodes, again, Dante's Peak. My God, you've got Brosnan and and Linda Hamilton. Forget lousers. about it.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. It just Yeah, it, it's, it's all Kinsey. That movie is the Kinsey scale. You're, you're <laughs> going to find out where, you're, where you are at the end of it.
0: Yeah. But no, speaking of Pierce Brosnan, so one of the interesting things about Austin Powers, I read this hilarious fucking quote from Daniel Craig, um, which is him saying that, like, when he kind of took over the Bond role, he felt that he had to, like, undo the damage. He, I believe his words were like, Mike Myers fucked it up for us because he basically, you know, like, by, it was Austin Powers, like, lampooning the old 1960s, uh, Uh, James Bond which because like old James Bond was so cheesy and stuff Mm -hmm. and so then Austin Power shines a light on it and then all of a sudden you have the overcompensating Brosnan stuff that like takes itself way too seriously and has lost the campy charm and so you know Daniel Craig's like yeah we're going back to formula and that's why I think the Craig Bond movie they're not perfect yeah but they are way more fun yeah
1: yes and I think that that that's sort of and it, that speaks to not only just, A, how huge that movie was and how hugely that impacted what that whole kind of genre, but it also, like... That movie kind of works without it, too, in a weird way. It's also just a goofy, because I, I wasn't a Bond person, like, you know, even when I watched it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is, look at all this goofy sex stuff. Look at all this goofy, this character. You know, there's there's so much to enjoy sort of moment to moment, even if you're not the big. But if you're a Bond person, you're like, oh, my God, this is, you know, that's Donald Pleasance. That's, you know what I mean? That's this movie. That's that movie kind of a thing. Or like a lot of vagina. That's uh, octopusy. Like all, all that <laughs> stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, um. So I was looking at the box office grosses because I was, um, shocked. Austin Powers sixty seven point seven million, which like we'll call that comedy good. That's comedy good. <laughs> yeah. Um. The Spy Who Shagged Me, three hundred and twelve million. <laughs> like he was a full fledged movie star after that. That's yeah. that's insane. Those are insane numbers.
1: Yeah, I guess it was all like word of mouth because that was like a big VHS hit. The 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 that's first Austin Powers. It. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like everybody. It is kind of cool. It's shocking that that happened and that it, like, again, the, set, you know, Wayne's World to Wayne's World 2, Austin Powers to Austin Powers 2 is like completely polar opposites in a weird way.
0: Very much. Yeah. So, like, he was on top of the fucking comedy world in the early aughts. Um, then he was picked to star as the titular Cat in the Hat, which was overwhelmingly panned, uh, <laughs> featuring noted disgusting shit boy Spencer Breslin. Oh. Oh. Everything about that movie is unpleasant. Um, I tried to look up some particularly funny or mean reviews, and I found one, mind you, it's from 2020, but it's still worth repeating, from Double Toasted, which states, I went out of my body, Jesus fucking Christ, what was this?
1: <laughs> That's right. That's totally right. That's the right attitude yeah. to have during that film. It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's funny that movie was sort of like, a weird punishment because he dropped out of the whatever the sprockets movie and universal was like you have to make something and you you're gonna do this and like <laughs> i mean he but again like he believe he really doesn't i he, i i will say like i've never watched him in film wherein he isn't giving a hundred percent which you know say whatever that means Uh, That doesn't make it life any easier for the people on set. But at the very least, he is giving his all.
0: You know, in my years of teaching dance and teaching competitive dance, there's always like that one kid per competition that is coming out for the solo. And you know by looking at them, they're a rubber face. And they're (laughs) going to kind of be all over the place and like hyperextended and just not even a pageant patty, but just like this kid's trying. This kid's giving (laughs) it their all. (laughs) and you're kind of just like silent at the end of it. Uh so yeah, there was the third Austin Powers movie which was high grossing. Yep. You would think you would think that what killed the franchise would have been something that didn't pull in money, but it was very high grossing. He could have ridden that into the ground a gold member. It's not good, but I wouldn't have thought it was bad enough to kill the franchise, um especially with how much money he made. So, um wise to tap out there
1: yeah i i was i mean i i really didn't like it when it came out and I, it's always been circling one of our one of the movies we will probably wind up doing eventually um but i'm <laughs> i i do wonder like i i think the problem with the gold member was always that it was just sort of a lot of the same jokes recycled you know what i mean Very like much, not yeah. just like oh you know remember when you know all just just that that which is a comedy killer because you, the audience, are ahead of the joke. You're like, I've seen this before and now it's going to happen this way. You
0: know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in many ways, uh, the second Awesome Powers movie is just like a dumping ground for the recycled jokes that didn't make it into the first one. But they're all still really good. And like, yes. oh, you added a Dutch character. What fucking humor is there about the Dutch? <laughs> I live I- in a heavily Dutch area. No one, no one gives a shit.
1: Yeah, and it was just you could tell that the movie didn't really believe in it because it was just like, what if what if Doctor Evil is doing more stuff instead of this other blonde guy that nobody yeah. kind of understands?
0: So um, yeah, it might have been a bad time for old Mike in the early two thousands if it weren't for a little green creature called Shrek. And Steve, I wanna know, in your opinion, do you think Shrek would have worked um and became even a fraction of what it became with Chris Farley?
1: It's a really good question. Um, I think it would have. Yes, because I think that the, we were ready for whatever that movie is, which is a lot of stuff that doesn't have a ton to do with Mike Myers, which is like the crassness and the pop culture. Uh, oh my God, it's a cartoon, but they're really referencing pop culture. Like that kind of, I think that stuff would have played. And I think Farley is obviously like could play very sweet. You know what I mean? And I think that it would have made Shrek probably a lot sweeter. I, I would, I would yeah. imagine so, I think that, that I think it would have been different, but good. But for some reason, Mike Myers had this golden touch. So, I feel like maybe it wouldn't have been as much of a blockbuster without Myers for whatever reason.
0: Is that a non answer? No, I think I think you're right. Um, or I think I think it's valid. I I did, however, watch the um the footage and the kind of um the, the animatics a couple mm-hmm. times and. It comes across as kind of low rent. I mean, also when Mm. Myers came on to replace Farley, um, there was a full rewrite um, Mm. and a slight character redesign um, because he kind of looked like more of an old wrestler type at first. Um, And you know with with Myers, they like changed the shape of his head because he looked really trollish in the first oh movie. okay um changed the shape of his head made him a little more portly took away his hair um and even like mike Myers recorded a full version of that without the scottish accent and then it like tested better or something with a scottish accent so like this man ran the fucking show yeah. and i think it's really evident because it becomes a mike Myers movie um it's hard to tell because animatics. Like, I'm not good at trying to like imagine something fully animated, but it does with Farley seem very low rent and very low energy, which I preferred. Like I said, I was a little fucking dork ass nerd, um, <laughs> and I didn't like anything too hyperactive when I was around that age. And it it is, it is extremely hyperactive. The final result of that movie.
1: Yeah, I buy that. I I think that I, that's interesting to think about. Like that, Mike Myers wouldn't at all suffer a movie to be not up to his standards so he would and i've heard that story where he he made them redo the voice track and redo animation cost so many millions of dollars and that's just what he did and you know that's always it's always good to do that when it works and then when it doesn't you know what i mean like you're the you're the biggest asshole you know what i mean it's 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 fun to be the loudest voice in the room when you're right and then when you're wrong (laughs) it's like oh jesus
0: I want to also be generous and say that I think the full rewrite was partially due to kind of not wanting to um, encroach on the territory of his dead friend. Um, That's
1: fair. (laughs) That's That's a nice thing to do.
0: But when you combine that with the like full re-recording as well, like that's just um, you know, I'm allowed to make fun of the ridiculousness. So yeah. uh regardless of how you feel about it, it had a huge impact on animated movies. It grossed nearly 500 million worldwide. <laughs> and uh which I'm sure drove you guys uh and your your podcast rather than crazy, the Oscars created the best animated feature category for this movie. Um yeah.
1: We need to celebrate Shrek. Uh it's it is it's, it's i mean it and like it's totally fair, you know what I mean and then the the problem with that category now is it's just the Pixar show like what's Pixar yes. well actually no no, I'm sorry the Disney show because now Pixar is actually being phased out by Disney because life is wonderful, and uh it's great to have monolithic corporations just uh have free reign over everything
0: there are three companies <laughs> that's
1: cool it, it's so cool that there's three companies all, yeah um so there's i mean there's that i i think that like um You have to give Shrek its due. Even I I hope even in our, you know, snarky podcast, it comes off that like this movie was enormous. It changed everything. And it's a huge feather in Mike Myers cap, which he had quite a few feathers at that point, even at that point.
0: Yeah. So um, after Shrek, uh, after Shrek came the love guru Hmm. or after I should say Shrek and its various sequels, also total boons. I guess he was feeling a little confident. The love guru came. So, um, Steve, I'm sure you're not a hockey fan. And I'm sure if you are, you cheer for the Islanders. So I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry. I'm not no, 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 really I'm, that I, rude. I,
1: I will, no, no, no. I, I, if I were a hockey fan, which I'm not, I'd root for the Rangers just sort of vaguely. Uh, okay.
0: But but was I wasn't still, I sure. Am. I wasn't <laughs> no, sure. Which is fair.
1: Islanders uh, fans
0: uh, are very, very mean. So. <laughs> okay. um, I I swear I'm not normally that rude. Uh, no, the reason why um Leafs fans have a particularly difficult time with the Love Guru. Um for one thing, The NHL is a piece of shit about a lot of things, uh, and it wonders why it's, like, the fourth most popular league of all the major leagues. Um, One of the things, you might not know this, is it is very stingy about licensing the rights and the images of hockey teams and hockey franchises. Like, um, you know, Travis Dermott from the Leafs did a dog food commercial with his dog. It was very cute, but he couldn't wear his Leafs jersey. He was wearing just, like, a blank blue sweater um and he he wasn't allowed to be identified as a maple leafs player so that's already very stingy now uh right now there's the hockey diversity alliance because everyone in hockey is super fucking racist um and so it's like PK Subban and Nazem Kadri and uh, some of the few like visible hockey players of color and the NHL would not li- uh, license their stuff even for that so like PK Subban is not allowed to wear his new jersey devils Jersey, he's not allowed to be identified as a New Jersey Devils player. But along comes fucking Mike Myers with his goddamn uh, movie about you know elephants fucking having sex in Game Seven of the playoffs, and we can just—it's leaf shit everywhere. um Yeah. Why do
1: you it's think disgusting. that is? Was it, just, was it just because it was like they, they, they wanted to ride the Mike Myers success train, or I
0: have I have truly no idea. Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, is one of the most confoundingly and kind of like transparently evil people on the planet um and Gary Bettman won't explain himself if he doesn't feel like he has to um so yeah um the other reason why that movie and I kind of Mandela affected this movie a little bit because I thought it uh occurred in 2004 um Mm. it was in 2008 I just I I remember watching it in a very different place than I actually did. Um, so I I was likely blitzed out of my mind. Um, but um, a sore spot for Leafs fans is that we have not won a Stanley Cup since 1967. But even worse, we haven't made it past the first round of the playoffs since 2004. Um, I will not say that this can be our year. <laughs> this could not be our year. Um, but uh, so... This movie, in it, in which we win the Stanley Cup fictitiously, I do not believe in curses, but I believe that this movie and its fake director, Marco Schnabel, should be set ablaze. Tried at the Hague.
1: It, that seems harsh. I'm going to go totally nuts on that. and That just seems a touch harsh. Um, it,
0: it would be harsh if this man existed, but he does not. <laughs>
1: It's an excruciating film in all other aspects as well, though, and it's it's, so
0: offensive, and it's
1: not, you know what I mean. And he just really like it's one of those things. You know, looking back at it, and there's this really good article that uh, Entertainment Weekly put out uh, right before it was coming out. And uh, R.I.P. Entertainment Weekly because we, you know, everything has to end. uh, By the way, heaven the fuck forbid we have any kind of remote. Any kind of journalism, but uh, there's this long article about uh, the peaks and valleys of Mark, Mike Myers up to this point? And it's like, is this movie going to work? And like, it's just, it's fascinating how much was on the line for him with that because, mm-hmm. like, and again, Shrek was huge, but like, Shrek was kind of on autopilot, and like, it's animated, and it's not him in front of the thing, and you know what I mean? Like, you don't it have just... to
0: do anything for that to make money.
1: Exactly, and yeah. this was oh no, this is my new Austin Powers. This is my new completely contrived insane character that America's going to love. And here's my, and that's the big problem with him. And it's not, it's a Saturday Night Live thing. And that's something that he learned to do and like he got very good at, which is, and here's my new catchphrase. And the problem with the catchphrase is if people don't like it, they want to die.
0: Yes. It it very much reminds me of the humor of being a small child. And, like, you find the thing that makes people laugh. And um, at a certain point, you realize people are laughing to be polite. And, <laughs> I, I mean, I know you ca- I know you can't literally or figuratively focus group comedy. I know that, um, you know, there's a sense of spontaneity and danger, you know, makes it good. But I can't believe that no one told him to hold back on Mariska Hargate.
1: It's he really just put all the chips on that being amazingly hilarious. And it's like you get one and it's a polite chuckle. And then it's like, I don't want you to do that anymore.
0: I mean, yeah, I was 19 and stoned and I didn't find that (laughs) funny.
1: That's always my thing about uh, under, the movie Underworld. I was like, I was incredibly high watching a movie about werewolves and vampires fighting each other, and I was bored to tears. So you know what, oh, dude? God. You didn't do your job well.
0: No. Um, so this movie grossed $13.9 And you know, we, we were talking about housing affordability. I just Googled homes for sale in Toronto, and there are currently 20 homes in Toronto for, uh, listed, including one condo listed for higher than that some of these are in totally normal neighborhoods too i mean toronto is a hellscape but um roger ebert said about this movie this could have been written on a toilet um <laughs> it's a little scatological but um yeah yeah it's it doesn't feel written it it doesn't feel finished
1: no it doesn't it's a, it's a, it's Again, because I think that he had all this pressure and he was like, it was one of these things where like he could tell you for two hours in the most pompous way what that movie is about, but it doesn't show up on screen, which is like, Mm -hmm. oh, my, my love of Deepak Chopra and all this stuff. And like, you know, all this uh, Eastern philosophy and how important it is and like acceptance and like all, all of this stuff. And it's like, it's not the movie you made, though.
0: no. Um, that also was in the era where we were trying to make like Justin Timberlake comedic actor a thing. Ooh, so you <laughs> know. No. Um, but yeah, or even so an
1: actor like, a thing. Honestly, like you know,
0: I do not mind him in The Social Network. That's all. But yes, I no, that, do that's not mind him that in is The Social
1: Network. That is your peak yeah. show episode of uh, of Justin Timberlake as an actor. It's just The Social Network, and that's the end of it. <laughs>
0: uh spoiler alert it may come up in the future but for different reasons um Mm. so yeah he more or less disappeared after that um he did the small parts you know we mentioned inglorious bastards that i don't like tongue-in-cheek stuff i don't like you know nudgy stuff so i thought his appearance in bohemian rhapsody was a little um you know it was nice to see him yeah um, (laughs) yeah but no one's, g- put- no one's going to bang their heads in their car to this. Like, come on.
1: We know. I know you did that. I mean, that's like an Uber Eats commercial in the middle of a movie. You know what I mean? Like, you're just trading on the thing from 25 years ago. And you think about like, somebody like Will Ferrell, who like, is one of those guys who was you know, top of the world comedy-wise. But always, you know, is still remains relevant because he pops up in stuff and does smaller stuff, whatever that Apple Plus TV show, which I didn't watch with people. My brother is telling me to watch uh, the 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 therapist next door or something like that. Oh, but yeah. the thing of it is, is he never found and I mean, this is not you ha- don't have to do this, but he never found his like crew. You know what I mean? Like he never yeah. took anyone with him. So therefore, you know, he, you know, Austin he was his was, own crew. Yes, exactly, which is an amazing accomplishment. But when people are like, oh, dude, I'm tired of you, then everyone's tired of you. And no one's like, oh, Mike, why don't you come in my movie? You could be the wacky neighbor uh, and you'll steal the show for three scenes and it'll be great. You know what I mean? Like, he does not do that. And I don't think he gets the opportunity to.
0: It's like the delight you see when, like, uh, Luke Wilson pops up in Anchorman or something like that, like that kind of excitement. Um, Now, after his uh, disappearance, I do have one question for you, Steve, because. Uh, like the Uber Eats commercials. I don't know if this is a Canada thing. Were you aware of the 2014 Sears commercial?
1: I was not until, like literally I was going over these notes and like three minutes before I logged on and I was like, wait, I missed this one. Wait, what's this? Wait, what's this? And I, I can't find it here in America, but like it, I, I, there's a version of it in French and I was like, that's not helpful. So please walk me and the rest of uh, your American counterparts through this
0: yeah so um uh, Sears, Canada, I think, went bankrupt shortly after its u s. counterpart, like, um, which it, it, because in Canada, the death of the mall has been about ten years behind the u s. death of the mall. um, but While Sears was starting to go under, their marketing department thought it would be brilliant to release a campaign that's basically like, you might have heard we're dying. We're not dying. Um, And they thought it would be really funny to do it because Mike Myers' brother, uh, I think Peter, um, he actually does work or did work uh, for Sears Corporate. And so it's Mike Myers walking through like a Sears corporate office and like, hey, you know, my brother works here. Here's my brother, Peter. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Um, and it was he was like, well, we're working hard. And contrary to popular belief, we're busier than ever. Um, and it was like this really kind of, you know, yes, intentionally awkward, but Sears, my brother works here. And I I like stuff that's intentionally awkward, but I'm like, you just told everyone that you are desperate for people to stop at, shop at your terrible department store.
1: <laughs> there is a very, I don't I'll say there's no other word for it, but cruel. Um, uh, good morning America, um, segment talking about that commercial. Cause that's, I was, again, I was just trying, I was like, I want to find this commercial. It was like a three minute bit where, uh, and the intro is just this guy talking like, you know, what worked for Lincoln, Matthew McConaughey, a, a huge actor, uh, for a huge car company and it had huge results. Now you've got uh, Mike Myers who uh, hasn't been in a good movie for eight years and this failing brand. And you know, and I was like, wow, this is like needlessly mean. And I guess that sort of engendered into uh, Mike Myers' discourse, probably,
0: which I, mean, I found I- very telling. My, you know, six years reporting on the advertising industry, I will say it's not Mike Myers' fault that that was a bad commercial. (laughs) That is a bad idea regardless of who you fucking get in your commercial. I will say (laughs) uh, the ending of that is very sad because Mike Myers' brother did lose his job, uh, apparently. Like when it had mass layoffs, that's the other thing is people now know, oh, Mike Myers' brother works at corporate. So reporters dug in and they found out. Oh yeah, Mike Myers' brother was among the layoffs. And that like made the papers, which that fucking sucks. You would never name a non-VP level individual who lost their job in a round of layoffs. So that really blew. It's
1: it's pretty mean again. You know what I mean? And like, yes, Mike just because your brother is rich and famous does not mean you are rich at all. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I mean, obviously serious corporate probably been, he'd probably did okay. But at the same time, like that's like just a dude who lost his job, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of rude.
0: So um, I, I have some more general notes that weren't kind of sprinkled into the chronology, but um, so yeah, we were talking about like a lot of the comedic actors in the nineties and two thousands went through this similar trajectory. You know, they start in sketch or improv, they have the breakout film roles, then they get into franchise town and we get a little oversaturated and then maybe they dip their toes into the Oscar bait roles with, you know, whether it succeeds or fails. Um, so like Jim Carrey did it, Will Ferrell did it cause he had, you know, Stranger Than Fiction was I think his attempt at Oscar bait. Um, ben Stiller with fucking Walter Mitty. There's nothing that Myers ever tried to do. And like, it made me question, is he actually a good actor? And I think he's a very, very good improv performer, but it's like, does does he even, you know, if you look at his pedigree, he doesn't necessarily even have the dramatic training. So it's like, that's yep. something he's maybe never been interested in.
1: Yeah, and again, he only did that Studio 54 movie, which was whatever, but like, you would think he would try, uh, there, was a, there was a rumor, not even a rumor, I was reading about it, and it, it just fell off the face of the earth. In 2017, he was going to do a Del Close movie, but that fell through. Del Close, uh you know, founded the improv and all that stuff. So that would be like kind of a a mixed biopic slash whatever. He never did it, and I mean, apparently he's got you know, looking at his IMDb now. He's going to be in a David O. Russell movie, whatever for for good or for ill. I guess we'll see what that looks like.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I I have no idea. Like I'll I will say that. It is nice, like in *Inglorious Bastards*, even though that is another very like scenery chewing thing. It's nice to just be like, "This is not a Mike Myers character." Yes. It it's really nice because I actually think that's a very good scene in the movie. It's really dynamic, and he actually can play off others extremely well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that that you know that's that's him like going full Peter Sellers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where it's just like this very silly character in this very dramatic scenario and making it work and and, and obviously like you know it's it's all it, it's the writing it's michael is in that scene and all that stuff but when that happened i was like oh shit it's mike myers and i was very pleased to see him you know what yeah. i mean and i would like that to happen again at some
0: point i would i would love to be relieved to see mike myers that'd be nice yes. um so like Every single one of Mike Myers' characters, like I said, is professionally annoying. And I think there's an art to that. There's such an art to being annoying. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, Austin Powers and Dr. Evil are annoying. um, But I feel like it's because they stop just shy of getting on our last nerve. So you introduce another sequel and another character like Goldmember. Maybe that's why. Like, I, I don't know when you go from being funny annoying to being too annoying.
1: Yeah, that's that's. I don't even. Yeah, that that it's a real uh, tightrope um, as an annoying person myself uh, that pretends to be funny. I think that you know we do we do okay. I think that there's something about maybe both. At least it's it's a sympathy thing. Possibly maybe that's what we're talking about because like it's you know you do feel like Austin Powers tries to do good. You know what I mean in 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 his own way. Even though and he's not like a bad guy. He like actually you you don't believe that he would do anything like bad to a woman you know what i mean it's just sort of like he's just kind of gross and like you know sleeps with a lot of people so there there's that and i think that like doctor evil you do he does have those moments of sympathy when he talks about his father and stuff and it's like it's cute and it's funny but it's also there's a layer of reality that you can kind of latch onto whereas the love guru is just something it's it's him it's like doing brown face but not doing brown face because the that movie tells you very clearly no no he's a white guy that just talks like this and he has to go out of its way to do that and i mean like you don't have sympathy for that you know what i mean i no. guess i guess
0: there's no pathology to it um mm-hmm. and yeah like i feel like um austin powers has puppy dog energy almost and just like mm-hmm. wayne campbell yeah. has puppy dog energy yes. and i don't mean like entire like I've had small dogs my whole life. I've had terriers my whole <laughs> life. They are fucking wiry and annoying, but they're also sweet and dopey. Um yeah. it's not just broadness. Um and that's what like if and like yeah, Love Guru isn't even funny broad. Um the last <laughs> The last note I want to have, um, oh, by the way, I do think I figured out like the key to not being annoying and actually funny is as an individual is being 5'8 or taller. So I feel like I'm working on it. <laughs> the doctors tell me I will not grow. I am a 32-year-old woman, but I'm working on it. Um, that means but... I'm fucked. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. My husband is also under 5'8, so we're, uh, we're just setting a new standard. Um, That's right. Our doors are smaller now. Um,
1: we're we're the people, we're the people that folks want to see show up at a, a general admission concert. Like, finally, I'm going <laughs> to hang out around those people.
0: Yes. Uh, no. So the last note I had, um, and I feel bad because um, uh, the Great Talking Simpsons just released their uh, Patreon episode. On Shrek, and um, I do feel vindicated that they said this, but now I feel a little sad because this is not my original thought anymore. Um, a thing with Shrek that really bothers me and what it kind of did in changing the landscape of animation is it set this new standard that every animated movie now has to have an all star cast, and we're not we're not throwing a bone to legitimately awesome voice actors anymore. I mean, like, I think, you know, people could name off, like, Billy West and Mark Hamill. Like, people know them. But there are, like, um, you know, the original Space Jam is really just, like, working voice actors. And, you know, I love that shit. Shrek is an all-star thing. And maybe that was part of why it didn't sit well with me as a movie, because nothing blends particularly well, but it's also just the expectation that, ooh, I'm seeing Justin Timberlake is is voicing the cat in the hat, or not the cat in the hat, puss in boots.
1: Yes. And that's, I mean, but that's totally true. And Space Jam is a great example because they had Lola Bunny, who was, and I forget the actress's name, just. A, a warner brothers voice actress who you know does a million projects on tv a year and like she invented Lola bunny in the 90s and for whatever reason they make this new one and she is ready to go raring i think she even recorded a lot of it and they're like no fuck you we're gonna get zendaya and again no shade against zendaya but to whom does that serve like what person what human being is like you know what i do i hate basketball I hate the Looney Tunes. I'm not going to see this movie. Oh my God, Zendaya's voicing Lola Bunny? Stop everything. Like, yeah. who is that person?
0: And and I'll also say this. I don't know if kids today have changed. Um, I work with kids a lot. Hmm. I don't think that even kids, the Target demo, actually care that much. Um, yeah. You know? Like, I... I don't think I would have been like I loved Adam Sandler as a kid. I do not think I would have been more likely to see a movie if I knew that Adam Sandler so I would have been more like cuz like this is about animals and I like animals or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I mean I'd actually it's sort of interesting like what makes Shrek work um is the voice performances of Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy yeah and, like, yeah, those are big, huge celebrities, but they're comedy guys that do wacky voices. You know what I mean? Like yes. Cameron Diaz not so much. John Lithgow, not yeah. so much. You know what I mean? like, so it it turns you I you kind of get kinda the love wrong Lithgow
0: in that movie, oh, of course, he's fantastic. Yeah.
1: I love yeah. Lithgow and everything. but like it's one of those things where it's the you take the wrong uh the wrong lesson from it. It's like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm we got these huge celebrities and this movie was hilarious. It's like, well, you got these huge comedy celebrities that could do silly voices. And you know, you have a bunch of people on retainer that could do that. Like at the drop of a hat.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're descending into the lightning round, which I love. Uh, like I said, we're bringing back the lightning round for every episode in season two. Cause everyone seems to have fun with it. So Steve, don't put too much thought into this. I mean, it's peak show. Don't put too much thought into any of it. Um, <laughs> So we got seven questions. Who is your preferred character, Austin Powers or Wayne Campbell?
1: Wayne Campbell. Uh it's he's uh, he's just more fun. He's just a fun character. I think he's hmm. he's dumb in the right way and but also really likable and can do that thing that very funny dumb characters could do, can be very smart at times.
0: Yeah. I also prefer Wayne just slightly. I think he's sweeter. Um hmm. however, I will say that Wayne works wayne needs garth um i think to be at his best um i can't necessarily say that about austin powers but yeah wayne does not get on my last nerve the way austin powers can at times
1: one point to austin powers is it was always a joke when he hooked up with elizabeth hurley but i think (laughs) wayne's world wants you to believe that he could hook up with tia Carrere, which is like
0: absolute
1: (laughs) absolutely not (laughs)
0: no i mean personality only gets you so far god i know <laughs> it really does
1: It really does. there are limits
0: yes uh so now i learned this uh as i was making these notes mike myers was not originally supposed to play multiple roles in austin powers as jim carrey was considered for the role of dr evil if you had, would have considered anyone else to play dr evil and i'm gonna put in the caveat cannot be dana carvey who would it be <laughs> uh
1: oh god um you know i would like la- I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I mean, it's it's a little early for him, but Paul Giamatti would have been a lot of fun. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. Like really just kind of getting into the pathos of it. And like, I think he would have been generally frightening a little bit.
0: Uh, so I went more thuggish, I thought, um, because I'm a fan of the macabre and I'm a fan of things that are deeply uncomfortable. Uh, Steven Seagal.
1: Ooh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really good. Uh, it probably would have saved Seagal's career for sure, yes. and probably might have saved some women's lives. Possibly, I don't know. You know, he's not exactly. I think that when his career went down, everything else went down too. Yes. Uh Yeah, but I think he would have been. It would, it would have been fun. It would be great to watch him like do karate shit too.
0: Mm -hmm. also um i don't i don't hate michael cain in the third movie i think michael Mm -hmm. cain is probably the best part of the third movie so if an opportunity to bring michael cain uh around in the first movie would have been good either as dr evil or maybe basil exposition or something
1: yeah totally and those movies always had a deep a nice fun deep cast even um the German lady or the lady playing the German lady always cracked me up. I, I forget her name. She's a good, great actress.
0: Um, Mindy Sterling, because she is yes. in my favorite movie of all time, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm. Yes. Um, so if you, I think I might know the answer to this. If you had to be stuck in a room for four hours with Myers in character as one of his SNL characters, who would it be? I-
1: as, as SNL characters, um, you know, I'm going to not say Wayne Campbell to just move move uh, to not be redundant. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Linda Richmond. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that I would have uh, I would have a lot to talk to Linda Richmond about. You know what I mean? We would <laughs> we would literally get bagels. We'd have coffee. Uh, I, I'm not a big Barbara person, but I feel like if she were real, I, I would get along with her.
0: She would tell everyone how handsome her son is. Um, <laughs> so I would have to say Dieter because. When my husband gets hyperactive and in a very good mood, he will go into several hour-long theater impressions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, is, uh, he is very much a 90s guy, my husband. Um, okay, if you could eliminate—this is a very specific one—if you could eliminate either Cat in the Hat or The Love Guru from film history and, like, Men in it out of our minds, but the other film gets a multi-film franchise in return, which would you eliminate?
1: I would have to say it's got to be the love guru because the idea that there would be more of the love guru would mean like in the sequel, he's still doing Mariska Hargitay. And already I'm getting a small panic attack thinking about that. I think that the cat in the hat, as bad as that movie is and as unlikable as it is, he kind of gets the fact that the cat in the hat is supposed to be an agent of chaos. So Mm -hmm. good on you there. I mean, I'll, I don't have to watch these movies, right? I don't. I don't have to see every one of the sequels.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might for for the podcast, but um, that's, that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, we hate movies. Does still exist in this universe? Um, <laughs> I I would say the same. Also, because the Cat in the Hat, I think, unlike the Love Guru, the Cat in the Hat has an audience. It's you know piece of shit kids, but I'm sure like there are still kids who like Cat in the Hats. Um, you know, who like that silly humor, even Mike Myers' horrible version of it. So. <laughs> Um, so when you look at the trajectories of their careers and the different directions they went into taking the good with the bad, who do you think had the better career start to start to finish Dana Carvey or Mike Myers?
1: I would say, and not to, um, uh, do a pun on your own show. It's, it's gotta be Mike Myers because the peak is so high. You know what I mean? Like Dana Carvey is more well-revered and Dana Carvey is more well-liked, uh, Mm -hmm. just in general, you know what I mean? Like people just have general goodwill for Dana Carvey. Yep but it's it's always it it it's it's you can't touch that run that Myers was on you know
0: yeah and i i feel really bad for Jana Carr because uh, you know master of disguise there's nothing worse than that movie there <laughs> like again i was you know a tween when that movie came out and i still didn't find it funny um but and and i sometimes think like oh man to have not to have only made one bad failure as a comedic actor is is yeah. pretty good um but it feels very unambitious. It feels like did he just hate Hollywood or something? And I mean, Mike Myers has made so much fucking money.
1: <laughs> yeah, in in a, in a if, if we lived in a true soci- socialist utopia, you'd say maybe uh, maybe Dana Carvey. But like, you got to take the money. You know what I mean? We we live in hell, and you just got to take the money, and it's it's hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so you have, uh, you your podcast, I don't know who has pointed out that Mike Myers in his movies his love interests never kiss him, um, which <laughs> I had to go back and confirm, and holy shit, that's true. Um, we have talked about how non-believable it is, him being with Tia Carrere, Elizabeth Hurley. Who do you think is the most believable romantic pairing?
1: Um, I forget who he's, with. does he even have a romantic interest? I, uh, I would- I guess it's Nancy Travis, you know, Nancy Mm -hmm. Travis. And like, they even have like, they don't actually have like a sex scene, but they are, it's implied that they're having sex and like Mm -hmm. they're rolling around and she seems to find him humorous and fun. Is that fair?
0: Yes. And that's, that is my, my pick as well. Um, I was, yeah, I'm thinking of like the love interests in Austin Powers just get more and more unattainable. You go from Elizabeth Hurley to Heather Graham to Beyonce. Beyonce was so young in that movie. She was barely out of her teens.
1: And that was a, a problem with that movie, too. It's like she just wasn't ready for whatever that movie was, which it, yeah. it, you need a comedic actress and not. I mean, and Beyonce like would go on to do better acting, yeah. but that was not for her, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, okay. If you could give uh, – so – for context, I don't know if you saw the the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, but Jim Carrey in in it as Dr. Robotnik, um, people loved it. It was fun. He, you know, coming back and playing this iconic character from an existing IP. If you could give a role like that to Mike Myers, what would you want to see him in?
1: Uh, I will say um, there's two X-Men characters and now I'm going to watch your eyes glaze over, but four, I guarantee you no, four I people in the their X-Men. car are, are cheering. Uh, okay. Uh I would say either arcade, that that crazy, like bowtie wearing nightmare bad guy. Oh okay. um, like Yes. I and or Mojo, who's the big green fat dude who uh is a television producer from a different dimension. Like both of those are X-Men villains that I think uh Mike Myers would excel at.
0: hmm So I went in a different direction. I I didn't think of him as a villain. Um and this might have been a little obvious, and I'll say that. If this happened, the whole film overall would probably be a shitty-ass event, but I would love to see him do the Cowardly Lion in The Wizard of Oz, because that's notably what he was doing um, in The Cat in the Hat. That's what he was kind of trying to do. Um, I think I would love to see Mike Myers in something where he feels warm and Mm. where he feels lovable, because that's kind of one of the things that I like about Wayne Campbell and Austin Powers that you don't see after that. Um, and I just want him to do something a little cuddly, you know, and, um, I assume because like most working actors have some musical talent, uh, I assume he probably has a semi-decent set of pipes. Um, I would love to see him in something theatrical.
1: Yeah. No, I buy that. I totally buy that. That's a really good call. And I mean, I think that the the warmth is, is what's been missing from, you know, his, the cat in the hat and the love guru. And I hope whatever his next phase has that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so we have barreled toward the conclusion. Um, And so, um, you know, I always say peaks mean different things. You know, when were you most into it? When was it the Mm. highest quality? When was it the most like itself? When do you feel Mike Myers peaked?
1: It has to be... It's got to be Shrek, the first one, just because Mm. it's off the heels of Austin Powers 2, which is so massive. To follow up Austin Powers 2 with Shrek and to have like all this like pop cultural significance in terms of like being in movies, everyone's doing your voice at, at in 2000 and whatever that is. 2001 is Shrek. Um, in right 2001. Right the went down. Right. You can imagine some, a grade school class with people doing Austin Powers impressions, Dr. Evil impressions and Shrek impressions and the teacher shooting themselves in the head.
0: <laughs> I was in grade school at the time. And yes, um, <laughs> Oh, God. It was like the only way you could make friends back then. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I would say it is also very much undeniably the peak, but it's such a almost grotesque thinking of like, this is a peak that you are falling off of. Like you are crashing from it because it's his, it's, you know, I know we would use blank check referring to like a filmmaker or something, but it is kind of his blank check stage. Like he can do fucking anything he wants after that. And he made extremely bad decisions. Um, <laughs> so yep. it's like, I imagine like two, two diverged in, in a cut of wood or whatever. And Mike Myers, <laughs> uh, you know, this was this really key moment for him. And turns out when he was given great power, um, he chose wrong. But what an amazing part, like point that was for him. I mean, and hey, all congratulations to him. He has made so much goddamn money. He could almost <laughs> buy a house in Toronto. Um, <laughs> So if you were to recommend three Mike Myers vehicles to a friend, whether it's, you know, movies or sketches, what's, you know, three things you'd tell him to sit down with?
1: Um, I would definitely. uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer, I think, is it it, it does. It's such a perfect 90s movie, like the soundtrack. It's like so relaxing. It's a big pair of very bright jeans for me. Uh, (laughs) And he's very he's very likable uh, in it as well. And, and Wayne's World as well. It's just an absolute classic. Um, so it's, those two are undeniable. I'm going to go weird with the last one, which is a sketch you cannot find because it is so offensive, but it's actually really, really funny. There's this... Um, it's when Heather Locklear hosted Saturday Night Live, they did this sketch where she was hosting an infomercial and Mike Myers is um, is the guy that like has the wacky invention. It's a pasta machine. And Heather Locklear is just casually racist while uh while uh, mike myers has to react to it and like his straight man work of being like any like so she just like flat out denies the holocaust at the top of the sketch and like and then mike like the phone the joke is they're in front of like this huge phone bank and you can see the phone lines exploding and that's kind of the gag it's like and she's like wow we're really selling these pasta machines and he has to keep like his work in that sketch of having to be the guy that's just like well, it's a it's a very affordably priced machine. Like, you know, that joke is for whatever reason that was on my brain today. And I, I, I love that sketch.
0: Man, I've never heard of this. I need to I need I mean, I'm sure I could not find it, but uh, <laughs> I will I will uh, scour things. I don't know. Um, my I think it's called is good Time Savers. Is is the, it time would be the savers. thing. Time, OK okay I'm, I'm gonna try this um so for me it's a bit of a cheat but i really think the um mike myers best of snl dvd um because mm. for me that was such a huge turning point i i thank uh i thank my dear kyla so much for lending that to me i never gave it back um <laughs> <laughs> uh and um because it shows that he has range he has so much range mm. um I would say Wayne's World won, but then I also really believe that you need to see someone at their worst to understand. So I would, I think it does anyone who is interested in comedy really good to watch The Love Guru because it helps you understand how you can fucking kill a career and just beat it to a pulp within one movie. Um, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting case study. (laughs)
1: it is baffling and also the the tragedy about because i was trying to watch it today the the best of mike myers is not streaming anywhere you have to like yeah. buy a physical copy a dvd of it
0: yeah um so thank you so much steve sada for coming on this episode of uh peak show talking mike myers with me before we let you go um can you tell everyone where they can find you find we hate movies and uh, you know follow you in your various projects or anything you want them to support
1: Yeah, we are. uh, You can find me at Steven Sadak, um, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-A-J-D-A-K. It's a very long Polish name Uh, on Twitter. uh, I'm on Letterboxd if you want to see that kind of stuff. And yeah, we are We Hate Movies uh, at WHM Podcast on Twitter, WHMpodcast.com. Uh, we'll get you to everything. We have a Patreon. We're putting out uh, a two-part Kill Pill, Kill Bill episode in in the month of February, which we're really excited. We just really we we just recorded. It's super fun uh, talking about both those movies and reevaluating them, and they were so fun to revisit. And we've got a ton of uh great content. We've got Listener Quest month coming next month. I have no idea what we're doing in the month of March.
0: That's so exciting. I always love Listener Request Month because I love how much it fucking breaks you. Um, <laughs> uh, so as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde, and I'm so happy to be back for another season of Peak Show. They say most podcasts only make it uh, to eight episodes, so I think we're at uh, triple that now. That's exciting. Uh, We're coming at you with so much more great content this season. We've got episodes coming up on Taylor Swift, David Fincher, and the Babysitter's Club. Next week, we are having on Justin J. Case. And what are we discussing? Here's a hint. He is the only man who has ever made me enjoy James McAvoy. You can follow me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. You can also follow this podcast, Peak Show, at Peak Show Pod on Twitter. Don't forget to rate and review us. Uh, You can rate us now on Spotify as well as on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars or go to hell. Special thanks to Jared Daly for our show logo and all its art. And thanks to Jack Dump for composing our theme music. And thank you for listening. I've been Brie Rohde and this sort of thing is my bag baby. Super. Thank you. Alrighty. And I, sorry, I've been drinking a lot of kombucha. Give me one moment. I am full of, full of gas. (laughs) Oh, no, you're
1: doing a regular we hate movies podcast we're just just we're always <laughs> oh, full dear.
0: of gear.